Most of you don't know me. You can call me Brother Chess. That will just be perfect. Brother Wayne, our pastor, is out gallivanting somewhere. I don't know exactly where he is. Uh, he's footloose and fancy free, and he's asked me to come and sit with this happy club, and I am looking forward to these few minutes together. Now, last week, some girl left her lip gloss here. Anybody want to claim it? If, if not, I may, I may just take it myself. Any of the girls, did any of you leave that? Well, you're just like your mamas and daddies. You're too embarrassed to say that I left it. I'm gonna give it to Miss Sabina and she can uh, maybe find who is there. Jennifer? Jennifer. Oh, y'all got a, y'all got a new bag in the last 15 years. Telling you, we didn't have this kind of bag, this big bag, when I was sitting here with the Happy Club members. Look at that. All right, y'all know what that is? A doll. A doll. What kind of doll? Any of you got a dog like this? Do you have a real dog like this? You used to. You let it run off. Yeah, this, this so so. All right. How many kinds of dogs do we have in the world? Y'all ever thought? We got labs. We got uh, German shepherds. We got collies. We got schnauzers. And th and then we just got dogs. You know, just dogs. And sometimes dogs are just the best kind of dogs to have. But the important thing, boys and girls, is to know that we've got just as many kinds of different people in the world as we have dogs. And some got names, but some are just people. But God loves every one of them, no matter who they are, where they are, how much they have, how much they know, how old they are, how young they are. God loves everybody in the world, no matter how different they may be. And he wants us to love them too. And the way we do it is like next coming week, we will love boys and girls and they'll all be different kinds of boys and girls, but we'll love them as we tell them about Jesus in Vacation Bible School. Am I doing all right, Mr. Bean? You know, that's three times I got Vacation Bible School in here, you know. And if y'all are not signed up for it, you need to sign up for it and be here in the morning because we're going to have a good time in Vacation Bible School. Okay? All right, we'll let you take your pretty dog back. Who gets the bag? All right, yes, you bring it back to us next Sunday and surprise Brother Wayne with what you got. All right, let's have our prayer together. Father, we thank you so much that you love all of us. We're all different, sizes and shapes, beliefs, thoughts, feelings, but you love us with an everlasting love. 
And we pray that you'll help us to love everybody and to share your love with them. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you, boys and girls.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we can come into your house to worship this morning. And I just thank you for everything that you blessed us with. Uh, blessings that uh, we don't even deserve. And I just, as we pause now during this time of our service to, to give back as, as this act of worship, we just ask that you take and, and bless. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
retired as pastor of First Baptist Church here in Tifton. He had served for 29 years as the shepherd and pastor of this wonderful, exciting church. You'll learn throughout, as he shares in his message, he, even though he's retired, he's been very busy and active serving the Lord even over these last 15 years. But we're so excited to have our pastor emeritus, Dr. Chess Smith, coming to share the word. Let's welcome him this morning. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Brother John. It's, it's a delight to be here. Dot and I both have uh, missed being at home. We've been over at the First Baptist Church in Baxley a year, the first of this month, and uh, we have just been out of the loop. We've seen some folks that we haven't seen in a long time, and uh, you, you look just about like you did the last time we saw you. Uh, hadn't aged or changed a bit. Uh, I was told to tell that, so. Uh, I'll do it. But it is good to be here, to be back and hear the beautiful music and the bells. And we've enjoyed every church that we have had the privilege of being the interim pastor. This is the ninth one that we are in now after, in these 15 years that we have been gone. And every one of them has been different, but every one of them has been a wonderful, wonderful experience for us. But we're glad to be here today. June the 6th, 1944. Do you remember it? It's so easy for us to forget our history. And the further away from some event that we get, the less we think about it, and the less we remember how much we owe to that event. Now I wonder this morning, just for a minute, those who served in World War II, would you, would you stand a moment and remain standing if you're here today? Anyone who served in World War II in some branch of the service, wherever it was and whatever it was, one, two, three, four, Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, only eleven of us. You see what I'm talking about? The further away you get, you'll come to a time when the generation will not remember. And that will be a sad occasion for that country and that nation. Let's have just a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for these who have stood, who are among those who are no longer with us, who fought a good fight, who finished their course, and who kept the faith. And Father, rest upon us heavily the responsibility of keeping that faith and the freedom of our nation and the obligation that we have to the world in which we live. Don't ever let us forget. 
for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have learned some things about Brother Gary. Appling County is where we are, and you just have Bacon County below it, and then you have Ware County, and that's where Brother Gary spent a good bit of his time in Ware County. And folks in Ware County know folks in Appling County, and so I have learned several things about uh, Brother Gary, but I'm not going to share those with you uh, today. But if you need any leverage on him in the choir or anywhere, just see me and I can give you uh, lots of information that will enable you to, uh, to do maybe what you want to do. But Gary, have you noticed as you have been in the field of music how we can sing, sing at the top of our voice, just to clap our hands and pat our feet and raise our arms and just, just have a tremendous experience in singing. But have you noticed that we don't really pay much attention to the words? We're good at singing, but we're not very good at remembering what we're saying when we sing. You remember that hymn? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. We sing that, but have we done it? Can any of us say this morning that I have surrendered everything to Jesus? Oh, we, we love to sing that hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. How many soldiers did you see last week who was standing up for Jesus. B.B. McKinney was one of the noted Baptist musicians of last generation. I heard B.B. McKinney sing a number of times at Ridgecrest. He was always there for the summer sessions Driving back in 1952 to his home in Nashville, had an accident and was killed. And Baptist lost a, a great, great soul. Many of the hymns that we have in our hymn book, B.B. McKinney wrote, one that always strikes my heart. I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He suffered to redeem me. He died to set me free. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me as I think of Calvary. Calvary. 
is my master satisfied with me? Good question. Not anything wrong with what Jesus has done for us. There's no way in the world that we could not be satisfied with what He has done for us day by day, year by year. But that's a haunting question. Is my master satisfied with me? If we were to ask that question sincerely and honestly this morning, what would, what would God say? I imagine he would say this. No, I'm not satisfied with you. You're just like Moses, my servant, in the olden days. Well, man, I, I stand up straight to be compared with Moses, that man who led God's people out of the land of Egypt to the Jordan River to get ready to go in the promised land. Moses, who received the law on top of the mountain, had that experience and relationship with God and came down to where his face was glowing, but he didn't know anything about it, but everybody could see and know that he had, he had been with Yahweh. And I would say to God, you know, I'm, I'm in good company if I'm like Moses. And he said, well, have you really studied the life of Moses? I had a time with him. He said, turn over there to the second, third, and fourth chapters of the book of Exodus. And if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn over there for a moment this morning. And when you get home, read it all. He said, there you'll, you'll find the story of, of Moses and what I had to do to get him to do what I wanted him to do. We all remember the story. There in the second chapters it begins that his mom and daddy gave him birth. By the way, does anybody know the name of Moses' father? Miss Gina, do you know the name of Moses' father? No. Brother Frankie, do you know, you know the name of Moses' father? You know Moses, don't you? But you, but you don't know his name of his father. How about the choir? Anybody in the choir? How about his mother? Do you know his name of his mother? Y'all don't know much about Moses now, don't do you? Amram and Jochebed. And when Moses was born, that edict had come from Pharaoh to kill all of the Hebrew boy babies. But Jochebed didn't want her baby boy to die. So you remember the story? She hid him in the bulrushes and put his sister there to look after him. 
Do you know Moses' sister's name? Miriam. Boy, that's about 30 on the test, isn't it? All right. And Miriam watched him, and you remember the story. Pharaoh's daughter came and spotted him and fell in love with him at that moment. And Miriam said, I'll go get a Hebrew woman to nurse him and look after him. And Pharaoh's daughter said, that'll be good. And then when you get done, you just bring him to the palace. And that's what she did. We don't know how long Jochebed had Moses at home. Let's just say five years. Five years to whisper in his ear the story of, of Yahweh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the, the difference he was to the Lord God of the universe. Five years, and then she carried him to Pharaoh's daughter, and they took him in the palace. And then we're told that one day, one day he steps out on the street to see what is happening to his people, the, the Hebrews. It doesn't tell us they're in Exodus, but we have to go to, to another place in the New Testament and find that Moses was 40 years old when that happened. 35 years. Where was he? In the palace? Living a soft life? Flowing robes? Soft slippers? The best food? Catered to his every whim and fancy? For 35 years he lived on the top of the heap And don't tell me that he didn't go out of the palace in those 35 years until this episode in Exodus. He looked out the window, he walked the streets, he saw his world. And he didn't do anything about it. had every means to correct the wrong, but he never hit a lick for what was right. 35 years. How long have you and I looked at our world? And we're not doing anything about it. Greed, corruption, chaos, confusion, forgetfulness, right is always on the scaffold and wrong is always on the throne and that's where it is today, sitting on the throne. And you and I are looking out our window. We're walking the streets, we're going to school, we're working in the marketplace, but we're not doing anything about our world and its wrongness. Yes, God's right. We're like Moses. 
As long as we can keep our grass cut and our shoes shining and our hair combed and, and looking halfway decent, we're not going to rock the boat. We're not going to get involved. We don't know what it'll cost us. As long as we can step over what's wrong, we'll keep on doing it. And for 35 years, Moses stepped over what was wrong in Egypt. And then one day, we're told, he went outside to see what was going on with his people. And you remember the story, he killed the Egyptian who had killed the Hebrew, hid his body, found out, and so he had to run for his life. Got over there in Midian, sitting by a well and a group of women came to get water and some ruffins tried to come and, and, and aggravate them and Moses stepped up and helped them to get their water and get it back to their home and they told their daddy about it, Jethro, and he said, bring that man to me and they brought Moses to Jethro and they fed him and looked after him and Moses said, man, this is good. And so he stayed there Fell in love, married, had a family, got a flock of his own and began to build it up and all he had to do was go from one grass place to another grass place, cool water to other cool water spots. He had it made. And for 40 years, Moses tended sheep on the backside of the desert. Forty years, God's still trying to get his attention because he needed him. Oh, you know the story. One day the bush began to burn and wasn't consumed and Moses came close to see about it and he heard the voice and Moses, take off his shoes. This is holy ground. We're fixing to have a long chat. God said, Moses, I need you. I need you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of bondage and sorrow and night into my freedom, gladness, and light. Five excuses. You read them in chapter 3 and 4. Five excuses Moses made of why he couldn't do that. I'm not, I'm not anybody, God. I, I don't have any prestige or power or authority. Send somebody else. Why, if I went, the Hebrews wouldn't believe that I met with you. They wouldn't listen to me. There's no need for me to go. Send somebody else. God, I, I can't talk. I, I, I get tongue-tied. I don't know what to say. What can I tell them? Send somebody else. And we're told that 
Moses caused God to get angry. I wonder if God is angry with us today. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. You see that today? In the schoolhouse, the marketplace. Seventy years God struggled with Moses to get him to do what he wanted him to do. The question comes to me, is my master satisfied with me? How long have I been taking it easy, drifting along in my world? And Moses said, God, I, I just, I don't have anything. And God said, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Just my shepherd's staff. Throw it down on the ground. And when he threw it on the ground, it became a snake. He said, now pick it up. And he picked it up by the tail and it became a staff again. And God said, Moses, don't you understand that's all I need. It's what you've got in your hand. A willing heart and an open hand. That's all I need. I don't need a whole lot. And you and I think that God needs some great and mighty power and force and arm and so forth. No, he just needs you and what you've got in your hand. That's all it needs. God is in control and he's waiting for you and me to give him a willing heart and an open hand. He showed us his power and his might in, in, in little things just a few weeks ago. Day after Easter, our daughter Karen and her husband Paul and the two boys, Taylor and Caleb, came from Wales to visit with us. We had a wonderful week. Karen had to leave early to, to go back, but Paul and the boys stayed on four more days, carried them to the airport in Atlanta, put them out on the curb, kissed them, hugged them, told them goodbye, turned around, started back. About halfway back, cell phone rang. That blueberry or raspberry or whatever it was and I answered it and they said our flight has been canceled. So we had to turn around and go back and they didn't tell him it was canceled until they got to the gate and they'd already checked their luggage. So they were standing out on the street when we got there. All they had were the shoes and clothes that they had on. No toothbrush, no hair comb, no nothing put them in the car, three homeless, stranded individuals. And for three weeks, three weeks, 
We had Paul and those two boys in our home. A 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, they don't eat, they graze. <laughs> they graze. Four times their flight was canceled until they were able to fly out to go home. Why? Because God had one of his volcanoes to belch and the ash shut down 10 countries, stranded 2 million people and stacked up 4 million suitcases somewhere just because a little ash was floating in the air. Oh, Moses, I don't need anything but you and what you've got in your hand. The question comes to me as I think of Calvary, is my master satisfied with me. Is he satisfied with you? All I need is a willing heart and a hoping hand. And you'll just be amazed at what I can do when I get you and what you've got. Let's join our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, it's so easy for us to sing these grand and glorious hymns, to play our bells, to strum our guitars, to sing in the choir, to play the piano and the organ, and sing and sing and sing. But help us to begin to listen to what we sing. And most of all, help us to face that question. Is my master satisfied with me? If there's one here today, Father, who, who hears your voice whispering, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't have you. You may be sitting in my church, but I don't have you. You may be singing my hymns, but I don't have you. And I love you and I want you. If there's one here today, Father, who hears you whispering that to them, Help them to do what you want them to do. We make our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
Our closing hymn this morning and our hymn of invitation and decision is number 416. We'll stand in a moment and sing together. And if you're here and God has spoken to your heart and there's a decision that you need to make, you might be able to make it right where you stand and sing. But if there's a kind of decision that calls you to the front, Brother John will be here to receive you as you sing, ask yourself that question. Is my master satisfied with me? May we stand and sing together. 416.